Back when my oldest son, who is 20 now, uh, was three years old, I remember sitting at the kitchen table in our house, and I was trying to get him to pray. I was trying to get him to pray over dinner, and he was kind of giving me the business about it, and so uh, he finally agreed to do it, and I remember just watching him. He sat there in his chair. Zach, our, little, our youngest guy, was a baby at the time, and he folded his hand. He got real intense. My oldest son's very intense, by the way, and he folded his hands like this, and he goes... Dear Jesus, thank you for this food, and you know I love you. And then he opens his eyes, and I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me, and he goes, but this woman and this man, they're killing me, Lord. (laughs) Now, why, why did I just tell you that? Well, I wanted to lighten the mood a little bit. That story has absolutely nothing to do with anything I'm about to talk about this morning, but I thought, and it may be the only thing you're going to laugh at based on everything else I'm about to say. So I just wanted to share a little funny story from our past. Here's the bottom line. We're tackling a very strong, intense passage of Scripture this morning. And honestly, it's a very convicting passage. And it's a passage that moves my spirit. And if it seems that I'm a bit intense this morning while I'm delivering it, it's simply a reflection of how I feel about this word of Scripture and how badly I want you to understand it and how badly I want you to grab hold of it and then to apply it to your life. We're in a study in the book of Ephesians. And if you've been here over the last several weeks, you know that we've been talking about walking out the Christian faith. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all about who we are, our identity as followers in Jesus Christ. And then the last three chapters, and we're in chapter five this morning, are all about walking out that knowledge. Now that you know who you are, walk it out. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, where we were two weeks ago and then last week, he says in verse one, he says, I therefore, based on everything now that I, that I know about myself as a follower of Jesus Christ, who I am in Christ, he said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, talking to this church, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. In other words, now that you know who you are in Christ, you know about your riches, the power you have, your identity, the love that you have been given, which is so vast you can't even measure it. He says, walk worthy of it. Walk it out. Now, verse 1, he says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he says this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore... Do not be partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." 
But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, verse 1 really sets the tone for this whole section of Scripture that I just read. Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, if you're a parent, you've probably noticed that your kids imitate your behavior. Whether it's purposeful, whether it's not, some of it's taught, some of it's caught, some of it makes you proud, and some of it doesn't. When my boys do something that is a little off color or say something that's a little off color, I will poke Amy and jokingly say, that's the mill side of the family coming out of them. They are imitating your side of the family, and the reason I can joke with her about that is because we both know that that's not quite true. Now, as sons and daughters of God, we are called to imitate our heavenly Father. And here's what the Bible says. Here's how the Bible says to do this in Ephesians 5. Since God is love, we are called to walk in love. Since God is uh, light, we're called to walk in light. Since God is truth, we're called to walk in wisdom. You've heard the phrase before, Christ follower. That's how the Bible describes us, Christ followers. To be a follower of Jesus is to be an imitator of Jesus, an imitator of God. And it's a great privilege. It's a, it's a great calling, but it's also a great responsibility. How people outside the Christian faith view God, view Jesus, and actually view his church is reflected in how we choose to live the Christian life, how we choose to walk it out. We're actually reflectors of his love. We're reflectors of his light and his wisdom. Whether it's good, bad, or ugly, we are his reflectors. And with that responsibility, we are called to reflect those things in a manner worthy of of what Christ has already done for us. We've been called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so we get into this section of chapter 5, and here's the question that we all need to be asking ourselves. This is the question that needs to be on our minds as we talk through this. Does our walk match the life of Christ inside of us? And if not, why not? Does our life, does our, does our, does our walk match the life of Christ inside of us? And if not, why not? And then what, what is it to actually walk this life out? What is it supposed to look like? Well, first of all, we're called to walk in love. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to just kind of summarize it for you in the very first part of it. It says that you could have the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge. You could have the ability to understand the deep mysteries of God, the deep mysteries of the world. You could have faith to move mountains. You could sell all your possessions and give it to the, fo- to the poor. You could actually sacrifice your body, but if you don't have love for people, you have nothing. Now, that's a strong statement. You could do all of these amazing things in God's name, but if you don't love other people, you will have nothing to show for it, and nothing always equals nothing. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are one of God's disciples. Now, Paul begins here with love because love is the fundamental foundation of the Christian life. Why did God send his son Jesus to die for us? Because he loved, he loved us. Why are we to love others? Because Christ loved us, loves us. Our motivation to love God is simply because he loved us first. Now, I know that there are a lot of pastors who, who get criticized for talking about love all the time, but listen, God puts a huge value on love and we are to imitate Christ 
in the way that he loves. So think about your life for just a moment. Every aspect of your life, the way that you live your life daily, your behavior, the way that you deal with your marriage, the way that you deal with your dating relationship, the way that you deal with all of your relationships, the way that you walk through school, walk through job, are you walking in love? Do you love other people? And then the Apostle Paul says, walk in light. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Since God is light, we're called to imitate him. We're called to walk in light and have nothing to do with the darkness of sin. Verse 3, the Apostle Paul begins to list off some of these sins that cannot exist in our life if we're truly going to walk in light. As Christ followers, imitators, we actually have power over these things. We've been given authority over these things, but we have to choose to put them outside of our lives. And the very first thing that Paul mentions is he says we need to put away, put off immorality. Now the Greek word for immorality is the word pornea, and it's where we get the word pornography. When God gave these words to Paul to write uh, a letter to the believers in the church in Ephesus in 60 AD, he knew that the believers at Westridge Church in the year 2015 would live in a world that was being bombarded with pornography. He also knew that it would be tearing up homes. It would be polluting the minds of children and students. It would be causing major destruction in marriages. That it would be planting seeds in people's minds who would eventually be committing sex crimes like sex trafficking. And, and that it would be, be freely dispersed over something that in 60 AD they couldn't even have possibly imagined called the internet. Now when I was about six or seven years old, um, I remember... In my little tiny house I grew up in outside of Detroit, Michigan, in a little town called Redford, um, my brother and I used to play hide-and-seek in this house. And in the basement of this house were a lot of cupboards and things like that. And I remember on on one particular day, in a very innocent way, opening up a cupboard that was kind of high and realizing there's a stack of magazines up there. And I grabbed them, pulled them down, and I started looking at seeing things I had. These eyes had never laid eyes on before had never seen before. Obviously nude images, whole stack of Playboys. And I just put them back up there, and, but I'm just telling you, I, I never forgot that they were there, and, it, and those images, to be honest with you, are, they still are in my mind. And then I started realizing, you know what, my dad, who was unsaved at the time, he wasn't the only dad that had this stuff. Most of my friends' dads had this stuff. I remember walking into a basement when I was in ninth grade, going to a spend the night at a friend's house. And this friend, uh, and I didn't know this either, he had, a, a, he had his uh, uh, stash of his dad's, uh, this is to tell you how old I am, eight millimeter reels of pornography that he was showing on the wall of his downtown basement. I had never seen anything like that before. And I walked, at first I walked out and went back home because I'm just like, I, this isn't working. And yet those images are still in my mind. And I remember back in two, uh, 1996 at going to a Promise Keepers conference with my dad. And we were driving home and just talking about different things that had been addressed at the conference. And at some point in this conversation, my eyes just welled up with tears. And I just said to my dad, I said, Dad, I want to tell you something. When I was younger, I discovered this stuff that was in our home. And I know that when you got saved in 1976... It all disappeared out of our house. But I want you to, I mean, it had a tremendous impact on my life. It planted a seed in my life. And I mean, it was, you know, I kept running into this stuff. And 
And tears started running down his face, and he said, son, I am so sorry that you ever, ever were exposed to that stuff and that it impacted your life. And I'm asking you, would you please forgive me? Now, some of you dads may be sitting here thinking, man, I need to hide my stuff better. No, 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 you need to eliminate this stuff. Some of you women, it needs to, if you're a Christ follower, it has no, no purpose. It has no room in your life. You need, to get, you need to trash it. And then Paul mentions, he says, put off impurity. It refers to anything that is unclean or filthy. Now, this is a broader term for sexual sin. And the, and the only, other, only other time that this particular word in the Greek is mentioned in Scripture is Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, where Jesus uses it to describe the rottenness of a decaying body in a tomb. And Paul is referring it to, 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 to here to, to, to the thought life, as sexual thoughts, fantasies, impure ideas that are put into our mind. And here's the idea. If you spend your time fantasizing, uh, fantasizing on sexually immoral things, your mind will begin to decay like a dead body. It will begin to rot. Since this word impurity deals with the mind, then what would we have to do? We have to guard what, allows, what we allow to come into our minds. And that, I mean, that's things like movies and music and the internet and all that stuff. Parents, this is where we have to create boundaries. Adults, this is where we have to create boundaries so that our mind does not start rotting. And then he says, put off greed. Now, it's interesting that God would connect sexual sin with greed. However, if you think about it, that's exactly what sexual sin is. It's greed. When you are greedy, you desire something that is not yours. Greed never gives, it always takes. Men, when you desire a woman that is not your wife, it's greed. Ladies, when you desire a man that is not your husband, your heart is filled with greed. Students and singles and married folks and high school students and middle school students, when you look lustfully at another person that you're not married to and you're desiring something that does not belong to you, it's greed. Greed is the exact opposite of what we're called to do in verse 2, which is to walk in love. Greed always takes, but genuine love, true love always gives. True love sacrifices for the sake of what's best for someone else. While greed says, I will take it when I want it, I, I, I want what, what, I, what I feel is best for me, and I, and, I, and I want it right now. That's why any form of sex outside of marriage is not only immoral and pure, but it's greedy. True love waits for God's best, his plan. And his plan is a man and a woman in a marriage context for a lifetime. While greed says, I'll do whatever I want with whomever I want, whenever I want to do it. That's greed. Greed can also refer to uncontrolled appetite for money or, op- or, or possessions. And I, I read some statistics this past week in 2014. The average American household owed, owed over $15,000 in credit card debt. As a nation, you put all of our families together, we owe $882.6 billion in credit card debt. Now, what's, what's at the root of all this indebtedness? It's greed. I want it now, and I'm going to get it now. And so I'll pull out the plastic because I've got to have it. Paul says these sins should have absolutely no part of your life as followers of Jesus. And then he mentions, he says this, put off all filthy, foolish, crude joking. Paul warns of sins of the tongue, which are really sins of the heart. If, you're, if you have a dirty heart, you're going to have a dirty speech. And he warns about joking about crude things. He's, he mentions foolish conversations, conversations that don't build each other up, that don't edify one another. And Paul says these kinds of conversations are outside. They're out of, they're out of place for a Christian. Matter of fact, 
there's serious consequences that are connected to this kind of lifestyle. Look at what he says in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, this whole idea of inheriting the kingdom of God, it's seen throughout the New Testament. Let me read it to you in another place in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's talk, he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. Who, and Corinth was a very, very tough place to be a Christian. He says, don't you realize that those of you who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, what exactly is the Bible saying here? What's it saying in Ephesians 5? Does a person who commits these sins lose their salvation? No. If you are truly saved, you are always saved. We, we read a verse last week in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, which, which said that we are sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job to seal our salvation, not ours. Now, does that mean that these believers who committed all of these sins were never saved in the per- first place? Well, listen, if, I mean, are you saying, Brian, that if, if, if someone looks at pornography, they're going to go to hell? If someone is a homosexual, are they going to go to hell? If someone gets drunk, are they going to go to hell? If someone tells a dirty, dirty joke, are they going to hell? If someone cheats on a test, are they going to hell? Well, listen, there are a lot of people that read these verses that way. And if that's the case, I want you to know that there are a lot of people in this building this morning that you're in trouble. However, I don't believe that this is what the Bible's saying here. Actually, the only sin that can cause you to end up in hell is the sin of rejecting Jesus and his free gift of salvation. So what in the world does this mean? What is Paul talking about here? What's the Bible saying? Well, let's first remember who the letter's written to. It's written to believers. It's written to people that have professed Jesus Christ to be their Savior. And here's the idea. If you are deliberately persistently choosing to indulge in sexual sin, stealing, greeting, getting drunk, greedy, getting drunk, you're, you're, you have an abusive nature towards others, you're cheating, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, in order for us to understand that, we need to understand the meaning of the kingdom of God. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom of God. We read Jesus referencing the kingdom of God as a ever after place called heaven, but he, we also see him referencing this as a, as a place in the here and now, the present life here on earth. In other words, his kingdom is future, but it's also in the present, in the Lord's prayer. Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was praying that his kingdom would be realized in our present time. Now, here's how my friend and author Jeff Christofferson defines the kingdom of God, and I think this is great. He says, God's, the kingdom of God is God's active and sovereign reign through history, bringing about his purpose in the world through Jesus Christ. Let me give you a very simple definition. It is, the kingdom of God is what the world looks like when Jesus Christ gets his way. 
The kingdom of God is what the world looks like when Jesus gets his way. So as you think about your life and you think about your lifestyle and your behaviors and the the choices that you're making, here's a foundational question that you have to ask yourself. Is my life a reflection of the kingdom of God? How do I know that? Here's how you know. Is Jesus getting his way in your life? Does your marriage reflect the kingdom of God? Does Jesus have his way in your marriage? Does does your relationships reflect the kingdom of God? Does Jesus have his way in his righteousness? Does does he have his way in in your relationships? Does, Does your behavior reflect the kingdom of God? Does your speech reflect the kingdom of God? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is what he said himself, he said, about his kingdom. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, the context of that verse was Jesus, while Jesus was speaking, it was he was addressing people who were living their lives only for themselves. They were self-absorbed. People who were living for material possessions, living for material wealth. And he said that that kind of life only leads to worry and discouragement and stress. But he says if your life is a life of faith where it's all about Jesus getting his way, seeking his kingdom first, and then he says living righteously, then he promises to take care of all of those things that are stressing you out, causing you to be discouraged, causing you to be worried. That's part of what he describes as his kingdom inheritance. When we live our lives submitted to him, his Holy Spirit fills us with kingdom fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, that fruit is described this way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When Jesus has his way in your life, when you allow him to have his way in your life, those are the, that, that's the kingdom fruit you can expect to be produced in your life. That's his inheritance of seeking God's kingdom first. However... When we follow the desires of our sinful nature, the flesh side of us, here's what Galatians 5 also says, your life will produce sexual immorality, impure thoughts, anger, fighting, participation in demonic activity, jealousy, selfish ambition, envy, wild parties, disunity, and other kinds of sin. Does the Bible really say wild parties? Yes, it does right there. The Bible says in Galatians 5, a person living like that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In in other words, instead of gaining the blessings of God's kingdom, they end up facing the consequences of sinful choices. They lose out on spiritual blessings. They miss out on the kingdom fruit that's described in Galatians 5, the love, the joy, the peace, and the patience. And since the kingdom of God is also referring to the ever after, our future in heaven, the Bible talks about a loss of rewards in heaven. Look at verse 6. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Well, back in the day when this was written, there was a group of people called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics believed that you could just sin and sin and sin and sin and sin and everything would be fine because grace would cover it. And Paul says, don't be deceived by empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And I believe what Paul's addressing here is he's, he's addressing believers who are walking in the flesh, choosing to live in sin. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul calls them, all right, he talks about three different kinds of people. The unsaved man, the spiritual man, and then he talks about people who, the people of the flesh, the mere man, the casual Christian. Later in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3.15, he talks about a Christian who builds his life on the wrong foundation. He's got, everything, he's got everything in view, it, but it's wrong. And he says he loses rewards in heaven 
just barely getting into heaven, escaping the flames. Now, how would you like to get into heaven and, and it be said of you, you just barely got in, escaping the flames? That's pretty much how it worked for you. Verse, 1 Corinthians 9.27 says the Apostle Paul, again, expresses a personal concern about living aimlessly in life, focused on the wrong things. And he, what was he, he was concerned about being disqualified. Being disqualified from what? Eternal rewards. Now, like me, some of you have had a period of your life, for me it was in college, where you just walked in sin for a season of your life. And when I look back on that period of time in my life, and I know many of you do as well, it was a miserable season. Now, I'll tell you this, there was some fun going on, but it only lasted for a short time. Because with that came remorse, came guilt, came regret. And so I, I, mean, I stand before you almost a 50-year-old man, and I regret those years of my life. Here's what I've learned. Walking out the Christian life is about a relationship. It's not about looking at Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians and going, oh my goodness, i got to keep this list of things. No, no, no. I walk in love and I walk in life because I want a deeper relationship with the author of love and the creator of light. As I walk with Christ and I seek his kingdom first and foremost in my life, I realize I get to inherit the blessings of his kingdom. I get to walk in fellowship with Jesus. I get the relationship that my heart is truly longing for. When I think of what it's like to walk out of fellowship with God, here's what I know firsthand. I don't ever want to go back there. I don't ever want to go back to that. Now, the temptations are still there. The pull is strong. I still mess up. But the relationship, ah, the fellowship, the relationship is just too valuable to me to go back to that. I would not trade what I know to be true about walking with Christ I, I, to, to go back to that. I, I, I want my life, I want your life to reflect the kingdom, to be all about his kingdom and not your own. Because not, the, 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 your own life, your own kingdom doesn't produce what God wants to produce in your life, what he wants to bless you with when you're all about his kingdom. I said last week that all of us, we're, also, we're all still going to sin. But what we want to do is to aim to continue to allow God's spirit to fill us so we can sin less. We want to we keep short accounts of sin. We want to be living lives where, where, where self-examination, repentance, and seeking forgiveness are a part of our everyday lifestyle. Now, before I say anything else, I want to say this, because I think this has to be said. I know some of you are thinking, okay, Brian, I'm hearing everything you're saying. What about the person, what about this person who claims to have prayed a prayer at some point in their life, a salvation prayer, and yet there's no evidence of it? Living in sin with no regret, no remorse, no repentance, nothing. Listen, I'm not going to be judge and jury over someone else's salvation. If someone truly says, I reject Christ, then I, they just said it. If someone is, belongs to this cult or this group, then you can kind of guess where they're going. But if I were a person that was just consistently living in sin with no remorse, no regret, no repentance, I mean, just pray to prayer, I'm going to do my thing, I would be concerned about my salvation. I'm just going to say that. Because when the Holy Spirit indwells you, takes residence inside of you, I just think there's going to be something different going on. Now let's continue. Paul says, when it comes to those believers who choose to walk in the flesh, verse 7, he says, therefore, 
Do not become partners with them. Don't let their influence rub off on you. Do not participate with them in their sinfulness. For at one time, one time you were darkness, but now you're in the light. Walk as the children of the light. So how, how in the world do we walk as children of light? Well, Paul lays it out. First of all, he says, live like a light. What does that mean? Well, he describes it. The fruit of the light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Very similar to the fruit of the Spirit I mentioned a moment ago. What does a light do? It illuminates darkness. It actually replaces darkness. When we allow our lives to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we seek God's kingdom first, our lives will shine goodness and righteousness and truth into darkness. We also need to determine, according to verse 10, what what pleases God. We should be on a constant pursuit to find out what God's will is for our lives and then follow it, obey it. How do I do that? Very simple. It's the difference between doing things my way or doing things God's way. Remember, it's about a relationship. It's about a relationship, an intimate, close fellowship every day. And if the relationship is important to you, if it's first in your life, then you're going to want to do what pleases him. And then he says in verse 10, he says, what is light? He says, have nothing to do with darkness. Instead, expose it. God says our resource for exposing evil is Scripture. So how, as I walk through this life, as, I'm, you know, as things seem to be getting muddy out there and kind of gray, and I don't know what's going on. I, you know, I hear this going on, that going on, and I'm hearing the news. And how, how do I know what is right and wrong? The Bible. That's it. I mean, how do you know what is dark and what is life? You have to run everything through the grid of Scripture. Scripture is like an x-ray machine. Now, if you've ever been in an airport or if you've been on an airplane, you know that you, before you get on that plane, everything has to run through an x-ray machine. And what are those x-ray machines doing? They're exposing everything in your luggage, in your computer bag, in your computer, on your body. Everything's going through the x-ray machine. And if those TSA agents find something illegal on you, what happens? Well, it depends on what it is and what airport you're in, but it it doesn't get on the plane. Matter of fact, you may not get on the plane. These are our instructions. We need to run everything in life through the x-ray machine of Scripture. And if it doesn't pass the test, then we need to expose it and call it what it is, sin. And then we need to have nothing to do with it. Now, I want to mention something that I said last week. Here's the challenge that some of you are facing right now. Do you believe, do you believe that the Bible is relevant and reliable to live your life by? Every one of you have to, you have to make that decision. Do you believe that what God wrote thousands of years ago to a church in Ephesus or a church in Corinth or a church in Galatia is still applicable to your life today? This is foundational as we move forward. Do you believe the Bible, do you take it Literally word for word. you you got to make that decision. And then finally, Paul makes his plea to the church of Ephesus, to these people, to these believers. Paul, Paul pleads with them, he begs with them, and here's what he says. Wake up! Some of you just lifted your heads. Thank you. Welcome back. Where am I? This is Westridge Church. It's Sunday morning. Another laugh. I was hoping to get at least one somewhere. Verse 14, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
Awake, O sleeper, stop walking through life like a sleeping dead man coming to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, going through all of the motions. Paul says, wake up. Wake up from your spiritual slumber, and when you do, the light of Christ will shine on you. Let the light of Christ shine on you. Start living a life pleasing to God and have nothing to do any longer with darkness. Instead, expose it for what it is and do not have anything to do with it. In other words, be different. Be different. Now, does that mean that I create this little holy huddle inside, you know, or stick my head down in the sand and pretend the world's going on, you know, around me is not going on, you know, I don't let anyone, no, 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 that's that's not what this means at all. Instead, we're to take our love and our light and we're to walk it out in the midst of darkness, the world around us. We're to let our love and our light shine for the world to see why, because we are his kingdom witnesses. We have been commissioned to make disciples. We are his plan. I mean, we're it. We're his plan to advance the gospel, to advance his kingdom in our community, in our country, in our world. That's our calling. And so we all, I want to ask all of you as, you, as we close this morning, are you walking worthy of your calling right now? Are you walking out his love? Are you a walking reflection of his light? Is your walk allowing you to be in close fellowship, in close relationship with God right now? Or is your walk putting you in danger of missing out on the blessings of God's kingdom, both here and in eternity? And if so, what needs to change in your life right now? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for moments like this. I thank you for passages of Scripture in in your Word that cause us to examine ourselves, clearly speak into our lives, and it sometimes even illuminates darkness. It makes us ask the tough questions. And so, Lord, as we're doing that right now, asking the tough questions, I pray, Father, for those in this church who are children of light, believers. Would you help us to self-examine ourselves? Just, Lord, just let us open up our hearts to you and allow you to come into every area and just clean out whatever you want to clean out. Lord, I thank you for the gift of repentance where we humbly come before you and just confess our sins. And I thank you that your, your word says you are faithful and just. You will forgive us every time. But Lord, help us not to trample on your grace. Keep walking. Help us not to, to keep walking in sin. But Lord, to put it off and to choose to walk in love, choose to walk in light. Lord, choose to, Lord, let go of all of that stuff from the past and make the kingdom the first and foremost desire of our hearts. Jesus having his way in every area of our lives.